Welcome to the Linked Up Church Podcast. We are passionate about connecting people to God, family, purpose, and community. Today, Pastor Joel Gregory starts a brand new life-changing series entitled Out of the Grave. Get your pen and your pad ready and let's go into the worship center and hear what God has for us today. We're going to start a new series for our resurrection season entitled Out of the Grave. And so you can follow along in the YouVersion Bible app. You can also follow along in our Linked Up Church app. Uh, I'm going to minister from longer texts of Scripture today so that we don't take things out of context. And so I just gave you an outline, but I'll say much more, so much more that's in the outline than, than that's in the outline. So make sure that you follow along and take your own notes. And in the introduction, it says, no one wants to live near a grave or do anything associated with them, right? Because graves are depressing and they bring us down. I was sharing with the first uh, service about five or six years ago, we were a mobile church and we were in three different locations. We had our 9 a.m. service at the West End or actually the 9 a.m. service was at impact or whichever way it went. We had a service at the West End. Uh, then we had another service at, in Marietta. So we were in Southwest Atlanta, another service in Marietta at their Performing Arts Center. Uh, then we had our offices on Wiley Road. And so we were playing, paying leases at three different locations. And so I was praying to God asking, how can we find one location? I was asking him to lead us to one location that could really service all three of those. And I believe that we had a great situation, opportunity out in front of us. I was excited about it. I went over and looked at it. Uh, it could seat about 800. It had a balcony up top with the finished balcony. You can get about if we finished the balcony off about 1,100 people. And the property was distressed. And I think the, the owner was asking about 500,000, maybe 550,000 for it. So I was like, to our business manager, we can offer them 400,000. They'll take it. It's been out there for a long time. Let's offer them cash for it. And this is how I was thinking. I was thinking consolidation. Right? So I was thinking we could pay cash for this, get rid of the other three leases. The money we would save that we were paying from the other three leases, we would recoup because we are now debt-free. We don't owe anyone anything. So we can recoup that over a, a four- to six-month period, and then we would now own this building that after we fixed it up would probably be worth about $1.2, maybe $1.3 million. And so it wasn't like this situation. It was a step to get us to this situation. And so I'm all excited. I took the whole staff over there to see this location and all of them were like no <laughs> this is not it we're walking through the building they would pull my wife to the side in the room pull minister Johnny over do not let him buy this building all because guess what was right next door to it a graveyard and so to me as nice as the opportunity was no one could see it because there was a graveyard next to it and so my thinking was just put up a privacy fence. <laughs> the staff was like, no, because we know what's on the other side of that privacy fence. And so believe it or not, I guess for them uh, in that scenario, in that analogy, you know, graves represent death. And so, so I'm assuming every time we would ride up on the property or, you know, people would come to church, they would think about death because that's what graves represented 
to people, right? And so we know in the natural, just by definition, the word grave means an excavation made in the earth in which to bury a dead body. So a lot of times it brings a, a sense of depression and loss upon us uh, when those things take place in the natural. But how many know in the spiritual realm, all of us need to die to some things? I need a little better amen than that, right? All of us do, right? And so in this season, we're talking about coming out of the grave. And I'll do a really good job by the Holy Spirit in helping us understand what that looks like for us. Let's continue to read our introduction. I have good news for you all today, though. Jesus is not in the grave. And this is one of the most amazing differences between the Christian faith and all other faith traditions. Today, followers of the Islamic faith can visit the tomb of their uh, leader, Muhammad. Today, the Jehovah Witnesses can visit the tomb of their founder and leader, John Russell, who they were formerly called the Russellites. They can visit that tomb. Today, uh, followers of Buddhists and the Buddhist religion can go to the grave of their founder, Buddha. But folks... You can visit the grave of past presidents, past heroes, past relatives, and every person that you know that has transitioned. But there's one person that if you visited his grave, you will not find him or his remains. Come on, somebody. You can dig it up. You can look for it. You can try your best to try to find it. But folks, he is not there. He is risen from the grave, and he is as alive today as he was over 2,000 years ago. Do I have any witnesses to that today? All right. And so there are two points I want you to take away from these next four weeks, okay? One is that we're dead to sin, and two is we're alive to God. The key thing I want you to understand from that, though, is that you can't be both. You, you can't be dead to sin and alive to God. I said that wrong. You all are looking at me. Did I say that? Yeah, no, that's right. I said it right. Or you can't be alive to sin and alive to God at the same time. You have to be dead to sin and alive to God. And a lot of times what happens with us, we're alive to God on Sundays. And then we're alive to sin Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And we come back to church on Sunday to get alive again. Right? And so it's one or the other. We have to be dead to sin and alive to God. And the good news is that God never calls us out of something and does not point us in the direction towards something that is much better for us. Right? And so when he tells us to die to something, it's simply because he has something much better for us. And the components of this message, it'll be filled with God's grace. It'll be filled with faith because it'll take faith to believe it. And it'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll see those three components in this entire message. Let's go to our opening text, or it could be called our foundation text in Romans chapter 10. And it says, verse 3 and 4 in the New King James Version. I'm actually going to read verses 1 and 2. I'm not going to elaborate on them much because I'm going to come back to them later on in this series. But in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So we see the direction of the tone there is that we don't 
we shouldn't think because God's grace is on our lives that gives us a license to sin. And that God's grace just covers everything, right? It's really the direct opposite. Because God has graced us so much, it should make us not want to sin, all right? And so verse 3, we'll pick up there. It says, and do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, and if you look that word baptized up in the Greek, it is the Greek word baptizo, and it simply means to be whelmed or to be fully wet. And so we're talking about water baptism here, right? Because it's symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So it says, as many of us as were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death, right? And that's what it's symbolic of. And this is why the Great Commission uh, tells us to do it in Matthew chapter 18, because what we are saying publicly when we go fully down into that water is that we have died to our old way of life, right? And that's what it's symbolic of. And then when we come out of that water, it should say something completely different. And this is nothing new. It's just churches got away from it. This is something that you'll see that was just, they all ran together in the, in the New Testament. You'll see in, in the book of Acts, you'll see people always getting saved. Then immediately they would get them water baptized. And then immediately they'd get them filled with the Holy Spirit. You can find that in Acts chapter 8 with Philip. You can find that in Acts chapter 9 uh, with Paul. You can find that in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius and his family. It was always this process of saved, water baptized, and filled with the Holy Ghost because it was so symbolic of what Christ did for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And then in verse 4, it says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, and I'll talk a little later about what that means, even so we should walk in newness of life. So let's get an understanding of what he's describing here. He says, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so... Or in like manner, we also should walk in newness of life. And the word walk here means to simply habitually order your steps in, to live, to tread all around in. So what he's really talking about now, when we go down into that water, we are declaring that we're getting ready to live a completely different lifestyle. All right? And what he's asking us to do is to live in this newness of life. Now, this word newness here is extremely important. The word newness there in the Greek means a renewal. So he's actually, what he's symbolizing here is that we're dying to one thing, but we need to renew ourselves to something else. And a lot of times what happens to people is that they get saved and they die, but they don't renew themselves to, to something else. And you think about wedding vows. You think about wedding renewals, right? Most people do that at 10 years, 25 years. What it's really saying in a wedding or vow renewal is that I want to reaffirm my love to you, right? And, and how many of you know if it's a 10-year vow renewal, you can't live off those past 10 years, what you're renewing is that we need to continue to grow and develop and grow into this next 10 years so that we can be better than we were the last 10 years. Can you all see that? And so the best way I can describe it, when you're talking about a renewal, uh, this word life here is the word zoe, uh, which is the God kind of life or life the way God intended it. So I'm dying to sin in my old life and I'm renewing myself 
to God and the way he designed life to be lived. And so when I think about my salvation, I struggled in three major areas prior to salvation. Uh, I struggled with uh, drinking, and I struggled with partying, and I struggled with the opposite sex. Do I have any witnesses in here? And how many know all of those ran together, right? And so we would get drunk, we would drink so we could go to the club and act like something we weren't. Right? And, and the purpose of being in the club was to do what? Oh, see, see, y'all going to make me come down on the floor today. Y'all ain't been saved all of your life now. And the purpose of the club was what? Girls. And so, 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 so this is what this looks like. Right? And so now what I have to do is say I'm not just not going to the club anymore. I, I have to say I'm not going to the club and I'm renewing myself and committing to going to church. And how many of know I didn't miss no weekends at partying? It was no such thing as I'm tired this weekend. It was no such thing as I don't feel good this weekend because the, the club getting ready to make me feel a whole lot better even if I did. Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? And I found out that church was a lot better than the club. And it made my life a lot better. Come on, somebody. And so it wasn't just, you know, stop drinking. How I many know I had to now renew myself to something else? Which was not being drunk with wine wearing his access, but being filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? And so now it's the same principle, right? I would get drunk to act out of my mind, to be something that I wasn't. Now I get to pray in the Holy Spirit, speak in other tongues, study the Word of God, and act outside of myself and be a supernatural being instead of just a natural being. Come on, somebody. Right? And I found out that being drunk in the Spirit is better than being drunk on alcohol. Come on, do I have any other witnesses in here? Right? So, so it wasn't just saying, Joel, I'm going to stop sleeping with, with women. I have to renew my, myself and say, no, but now I'm going to dedicate my body as a living sacrifice to God. Right? I'm going to glorify God with my body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God, for you are not your own, for you are bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit. I have to renew myself to that. And guess what I found out? You can take all of the women that I, 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 all the girlfriends in the world that I had and none of them can compare to the one wife that God gave me. Come on, I need some marriages in here to, to say amen to that. All of that wild living cannot compare to the one wife that God gave me. So what he's trying to help you understand here is not just dying to something. It's dying to something and renewing myself to something else. If all I do is die to something and I don't renew myself, how many know what I died to will resurrect itself? Anybody here know what I'm talking about? How many of y'all said, if, Lord, if you get me out of this situation? How many of y'all, come on, raise your hand if you've ever said that, Lord. Just don't let me be, and I will never do that ever again. Come on, raise your hand. How many of y'all have ever done it? Until next weekend, right? Right? And, and all that is, you were sincere in that moment, but you didn't renew yourself to, to anything else. See, you left something, but you had nothing else to turn to. Let's keep going here. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. 
And I'm going to read Romans chapter 8 out of the Passion Translation. Okay, so let's begin reading at verse 1. Romans chapter 8. We're talking about out of the grave, right? Because some of you all are getting ready to come out into some stuff, man, that you've been dreaming about your whole life. That if God could just get you to die to that selfish flesh living, you're getting ready to come out into some of, some of your dreams and your desires and your, your hopes and your, your businesses and your, your debt-free living. Come on, somebody. And, and your health and, and all of the things that you've always dreamed about. If he can just get you to die. So now the case is closed. Now, you know, you don't start any sentence with so now. So now is a continuation of something that was said previously, right? But let me read it and then we'll go back. So now the case is closed. So immediately I would want to understand, they taught us this in Bible school, I would want to understand, well, what clay case is he talking about that is closed? So now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. He said, that case has been closed. Nobody can condemn you as long as your union is one with Jesus. Now, let's go back into chapter 7 to understand what he was talking about here. Now, it's not in your notes, so you might want to write these into your notes. I'm going to read this out of the New King James Version. Let's pick up at verse 18. And I want to remind you all that man put chapter and verse in the Bible to help us find things faster. But really, Romans is just one continuous letter. It's one letter. Man put chapter and verse in there. So a lot of times, you have to go back and read in the previous chapter to get a better understanding of something that's being said in the current chapter that you're reading. So let's pick up at verse 18, Romans chapter 7. For I know, Paul here saying, that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. Somebody say the struggle is real. Anybody know what, what he's talking about here? Is that I, I, I want to do right. But how to do it is hard to find. A lot of people want to live right, but they just keep thinking to themselves. Satan just keeps talking them out of it. You can't do that. Let's keep reading here. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not do, that I practice. Anybody know about that, right? Right, where you say, I'm done with that. And then it's back again. I'm done with that. Then it's back again. Anybody ever been there? I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one. I'm done with that. Then it's back again, right? Anybody been there, right? We all been there, right? I'm done with that. But it's back, right back again. Let's keep reading here. For the good that I will to do, I do not. But the evil I would not do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not do or to, to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Hmm, interesting. So that means sin is not dead in that area of your life. It's still alive. Okay, let's keep reading here. I find then a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. 
See, and, and if you've lived a little bit of this, you'll know that every time you make a decision to do right, evil is always present right there. Okay, this is the super save side of the sanction service today. So if you lived a little bit, you know the moment you make a decision that I am going to get up at 6 a.m. every morning for 21 days of prayer and fasting and pray. I mean, the first morning you commit to that, you're going to wake up just wide awake, 2 o'clock in the morning, can't get back to sleep. And you know when you'll get sleepy again? At 5.45. Come on, I've been there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then you right on past that 6 o'clock time, right? Well, I just pray when I wake up because I'm tired now. So you'll, you'll notice that every time you make this decision to do good, right? I, I'm done with, I, I'm saving myself till I get married. Then here comes. Somebody make you rethink that. Then you start thinking to yourself, do people still do that today? <laughs> do you know anybody that's kept themselves? To, and how many know evil will talk you right out of it? I need a little better amen in here. It's a lot louder at that first service. I, I need some stronger amens or I'll stay on these points longer. Let's keep reading here. Verse 20. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good, see? For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, worn against the law of my mind. And bringing me into captivity to this law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body? Anybody ever been there before? Like you start getting mad at yourself. Like, boy, you crazy, will you? See, Paul, somebody look at your neighbor and say, the struggle is real. Say to your other neighbor, the struggle used to be real. You know what I'm talking about. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? See, see, and, and again, I'm setting something up here because most believers live their entire lives believing that they have to live with a desire to do right, but I can't. Most people live their whole saved lives believing that I have a desire to do right. But I, ain't nobody doing that. It don't take all of that. Just keep reading. I got good news for you, though. Two words, but God. Oh, I need a little better amen in here. I said two words for you, but God. Look at this. Oh, wretched man that I am. Verse 25. Here's the, the key. See, he didn't leave us there. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, here's the solution. So then with the mind, I serve the law of God or my spirit. But with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. See, so you're going to serve one or the other. But you can't serve both. Now let's go back to chapter 8 and let's understand that a little better. Okay, verse 1. Let's read it again. 
Passion translation. So now he's saying, so now that case is closed. What case is closed? You no longer have to struggle with that issue of wanting to live right but just can't do it. Some of y'all still looking like. What case has been closed? You no longer have to struggle with wanting to live right but just can't do it. Folks, I'm standing up here to tell you that it's been 33 years since I had a drink of alcohol. This salvation is real, folks, if you'll serve it and not keep vacillating. So now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. So don't you ever let somebody walk up to you and tell you what you are not in Christ Jesus. You are everything that he said you were. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus who loves you. And you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Now, this doesn't mean you won't ever make a mistake again, but this does mean you'll never practice that sin ever again in your life. Those are two different things. Verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life flowing through the anointing of Jesus has liberated or delivered or freed us from the law of sin and death. So you have two laws here. Law here in the Greek means influence, right? Uh, this is, it's a rule, and it works every single time. So you have two laws, but these laws have two separate functions. So the function of the law of sin and death is to condemn. So every time you sin and you miss the mark, the function of the law of sin and death is to condemn you, to judge you, to say that you are guilty, you are no longer worthy, you are not a child of God, you do not belong to Jesus, and those voices will continue to beat at you until they make you quit altogether and just go back out into the world. That's the function of the law of sin and death. But the function of the law of the spirit of life is to pardon. And how many of you know that's liberating? So now because I don't practice that anymore, but if I miss it, I can go to God and acknowledge it. And God says, you're forgiven. Watch this. I already paid for that. You no longer have to live under the guilt and shame another day of your life. You can do that and then walk free from it as though it never existed in your life. Come on, somebody ought to thank God for the law of the spirit of life. Okay, verse 3 says, For God achieved what the law was unable to accomplish because the law was limited by the weakness of human nature. Yet God sent his son in human form to identify with human weaknesses, right? He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. So because he lived it as an example, we can live that, folks. You can live your life without practicing sin. Two yeses and one amen. You can live your life without practicing sin. Five yeses and three amens. You can live your life without practicing sin. 
Yet God sent us his son in human form to identify with human weakness. Clothed with humanity, God's son gave his body to be the sin offering so that God could once and for all condemn the guilt and the power of sin. Folks, not only do you no longer have to feel guilty when you make a mistake, you can also look at it and say, you have no more power over me. I am done with you in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. Somebody ought to thank God for that. Whereas before you would have accepted that and just continued to live as if this is the way that I am. And I, it's just like this for the rest of my life. No, he sent his son in sinful flesh to condemn sin in the flesh so that you no longer have to feel guilty about it. And listen to this. It has no more authority or power over your life. You can walk away from cigarettes today. You can walk away from sex today. You can walk away from alcohol today. You can walk away from him, them, it, whatever it is. You can walk away today because it no longer has any power over you. Come on, that's good news, folks. Verse 4 says, so now every righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled through the anointed one living his life in us. And we are free to live, not according to our flesh, but by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. And folks, the power of the Holy Spirit is dynamic in all of his workings. All that he's telling you is that his power is stronger than the devil. Right? Somebody say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Do you all believe that today? I said, do you all believe that today? Come on, the Holy Spirit is dynamic. How is the Holy Spirit dynamic? Go study Galatians chapter 5 and study the fruits of the Spirit and then begin to develop those in your life. And if you develop those in your life, they literally tell you that if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust that is in your flesh. If you develop your Spirit and the fruits of your Spirit, it will conquer your flesh 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We are not weak, folks. We are strong by the power of the Holy Holy Spirit, stop laying down like you don't have an answer. Stop not fighting because you don't believe you can overcome. He made you more than an overcomer. You are not just an overcomer. You are more than an overcomer through him who strengthens you. Stop living that way. You have the power and it's on the inside of you. And his name is the Holy Spirit. Those who are motivated by the flesh in verse 5 only pursue what benefits themselves. But those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. So notice, wherever your mind is set, that's what you will pursue. Now, this young lady didn't even know it, but could you stand up for a moment? Right here, stand up. Her shirt says, sweatshirt says, mindset is everything. And that's what this is, folks. Wherever you set your mind, that's what you will live. You know why I cussed all the time? Because all the missed music I listened to had cussing in it. 
And I framed them cuss words just like the song. Don't look at me like that. You know why I was angry all the time and just ready to fight at a drop notice? Because all the music I listened to had anger in it. It's a dog. It's a dog. Ah, I'm walking around. Ah, cussing. Angry. Because my mind was set. And mindset is everything. So then I start realizing I, gotta, I can't just die to that music. I got to renew myself to some new music. Once I changed the music, I noticed my behavior began to change. The cussing began to stop. Right? The anger settled down. Hello, somebody. Right? That's the answer for somebody in this room right now. That's what's got you all messed up. I was all lustful. Because you know what all the music was saying? Smack it up, flip it, rub it down. Oh, no! So guess what my mind is set on? I'm going to keep this about as real as I possibly can today. Come on, anybody in here know what I'm talking about? I said, anybody in here know what I'm talking about? When your mind is set on something, you'll stay up as late as you need to. Oh, we in church now. Oh, we, we in the church now. Let's keep reading here. How many of y'all glad you came to church today? See, for the mindset of the flesh is death. Verse 6. But the mindset controlled by the spirit, watch this, finds life and peace. You know what life is? Zoe. The God kind of life. Or life the way God intended it. You know what peace means? Irony. It means wholeness. It means prosperity. It means victory. It means health. So notice when we set our mind on the things of God, we find life the way he intended it to be. See, if I'd have stayed on that path, how do you, I, mean, I would have missed life the way God intended it to be. And I'd have missed this. I would have missed that. I'd have missed pastoring. I'd have been out there living life the way it wasn't intended to be. Because I kept my mind set on the flesh. See? But, but when I set it on the things of God, I not only find life, but I find peace. See, when my mind was set on the flesh, I couldn't sleep at night. Because I always thought somebody was trying to get me. So I got to stay up. One eye open, one eye closed. When I walk out the house, I'm always looking around. I'm watching everything I'm doing. I'm paying attention because you can't get caught slipping out here. That's how, you, that's how you lived. I got over setting my mind on Christ. I sleep all through the night. Got a whole lot of peace. I wake up not thinking about nobody's coming for me. The only thing I think about is, God, what do you have for me today? Come on, somebody. God, how are you going to make this day better than, than yesterday? I'm trying to help somebody in here. It's your mindset. 
that's keeping you locked. Verse 7 says, in fact, the mindset focused on the flesh fights against God's plan. See, here's truth, but it fights against it. And refuses to submit to his direction because it cannot. Why? Because its mind is set on the flesh. If you've ever sat down, sometimes you can sit down in front of people, show them verse by verse. And they'll walk out of there like you ain't said nothing to them. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? You know why? Because their mind is set on something else. See, most people think with their lower half. God is trying to get you to think with your upper half. See, and Satan, what, what it is, he doesn't just, see, he's coming for it all. He just doesn't want to get you out there on one thing. He just wants you to keep going. See, and sometimes the way that plays out is, okay, we already slept together now. We messed that up. We messed that up. So we can't even say we didn't sleep together. So we might as well just keep sleeping together. Then they just keep sleeping together, and then the devil will tell them, well, y'all already acting like you're married. You might as well just move in with each other. Man, this light is in my eyes. See, if I can't see you, but if somebody said amen, I'd be able to know I'm doing all right today. Right? And how many you know he'll just keep dragging you until you're just all the way out there? Music department, come on back out here. I think we need to sing a song. I think, I think we need to sing. It is heavy in here. You all doing all right out there? Come on, God. Can we just, come on, let's just praise God for a moment. Woo, Jesus. Come on, laugh at the devil. Do something. Woo, Jesus. Hey, glory. Hey, glory. Thank you. Hey, glory. Hey. Hey. This is victory, folks. Verse 8. So no, no matter how hard they try, God finds no pleasure with those who are controlled by the flesh. But when the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh, but by the Spirit. Well, when does he empower your life? At the point of salvation. The moment you get saved, folks, he comes to live on the inside of you. And he empowers you that day with enough ability to walk away from whatever you were doing prior to giving your life to him. I'm telling you, folks, somebody could come to the altar today, give their life to Christ, and stop sinning. Somebody could come to the altar today, give their life to Christ, and not sleep with another person until they get married. Somebody can come to the altar today, give their life to Christ, and never smoke another cigarette. Somebody can come to the altar today, give their life to Christ, and never drink another glass of alcohol another day in their life. Somebody can come to the altar today, give their life to Christ, and stop cussing. Some of y'all like, that's a powerful God right there. Now, if he can do that one right there, I know that Holy Spirit is real. So, but when Christ empowers your life, you are no longer dominated by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And if not joined, right, watch this now, to the Spirit of the Anointed One, you are not of Him. 
Now Christ lives his life in you. And even though your body may be dead because of the effects of sin, his life-giving spirit imparts life to you because you are fully accepted by God. Somebody say, I am fully accepted by God. You know why we do a lot of stuff wrong? Because we're trying to get acceptance from the wrong people. And if you haven't learned anything yet, the very people you're trying to get acceptance from, they don't care nothing about you anyway. Nothing at all. Took me a long time to learn that, folks. And so, so now I understand, and, and you will too, as long as I am accepted by God, I don't need anybody else's acceptance. Oh, I need somebody to say amen to that today. I said, as long as I am accepted by God, I don't need anybody else's acceptance. Pastor, you're not good enough, so. Pastor, you're way too good, so. Pastor, I don't like you, so. God loves me. And you got to learn how to live in that space. That if God has accepted you, don't put so much weight in what other people are saying about you. Because I got good news for you. Man, can I say this? I'm out there now. You will never, ever be good enough for other people. I, I don't care how great you are. It will never be good enough for them. You can do nine out of ten things right. And you know what they're going to focus on? The one thing you don't do well. They're going to say, he won eight championships. He did all this, but he couldn't do that. And the very people that say that haven't won one championship. Come on, somebody. And done nothing. And that's what I've learned. The people who are talking about you have never done what God is using you to do. Stop trying to be accepted by other people. So yes, God raised Jesus to life and since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you, he will also raise your dying body to life by the same spirit that breathes life into you. I want you to catch this. The same spirit that raised Christ from the grave lives in you. Come on, say it. The same spirit that raised Christ from the grave lives in me. So what is it that you can't do? Nothing. You, you telling me you can't overcome? No. I can stop eating sweets. I can. I can overcome it. I'm talking to myself right now. I can stop that. I don't have to eat a whole half a bag of dark chocolate almonds. I don't have to eat three bags of chips. I can eat one in Jesus' name. Come on, anybody else in the struggle out there? I said, anybody else in the struggle out there? Right, I'm talking myself up right now. I can lose this little bit that's left. I can lose it. Guy, I was teasing, a guy was teasing me at the gym the other day. He was like, man, you, you, you really working on something? I said, yeah, Girl Scout cookies. 
I told him, I, I, I told him, I told him, Magic, my problem is not in the gym. My problem is in the kitchen. But I'm telling you, I can overcome that. And I can get that six-pack back. Eight-pack. In Jesus' name. Come on, stretch your hands towards me right now. Say, go get it, Pastor. Come on, say, go get it, Pastor. Let's close right here for the day. Point number one, Jesus' death was perfect. I'm just going to read this and then get you all out of here for the day. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, New Living Testament says this. Jesus' death was perfect. We're only going to do one point per week. Today's is Jesus' death was perfect, right? So then, or so we, New Living Translation, must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. Most of you all would understand that better from the King James Version or the New King James Version. It says that we should give the greater heed or or the earnest heed to the things that we have learned or the things that we have heard unless we let them slip. And that word slip means to leak out, right? And how many know when we stop paying attention to what we've learned, then that stuff begins to leak out? And how do we know it's leaking?